oh my you, you God. say your biggest fear is something <laughs> happening to your kids before you, and that is the premise <laughs> of the fall of the House of Usher. Damn. I <laughs> I have not put that together at all. Uh, well done. Wow. Uh, no, I mean, I don't uh, know. I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Scream Dreams, the nightmares that shaped us, where we sit down with our favorite filmmakers and talk about their nightmares and what actually terrifies them. I'm James A. Janice. And I'm Catherine Corcoran. Yes, today we are sitting down with Mike Flanagan, uh, filmmaker extraordinaire, I'm going to say it. Yeah. I think that's an apt label. Legendary filmmaker. Ooh, yes. Modern Oof. day legend. Yeah. Filmmaking Yikes. God, even. Yeah, I'll throw <laughs> that out there. God. <laughs> uh, hi. Hi. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mike, for joining us. Yeah. Yeah, we're so excited to have you. I think this episode is one of the ones I've been most excited for, just for my own fandom, I think has been a lot of fun. So we're so honored that you're here with us today. Oh my, look, the honor is all mine. Uh, it's, a, it's a joy, it's a joy to be here and I can't wait to talk about, you know, scary stuff. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you might be a little pod out, but I think that's the one we're gonna start with today, sure. if that's okay. Just because I think that's what's on everybody's mind, that's what we're all watching or have been watching. Right. So have you always been a big Poe fan? Yes, okay. I have. So I, I vividly remember when I was a kid, I was I, I grew up in a bunch of places because yeah. my dad was in the Coast Guards. So we moved around like all over the place. Uh -huh. But we were living in Bowie, Maryland, and I went to the public library and they had a section there where you could, uh, you know, they had an incredible, incredible books, of course, but they had a section where you could get records. And some of those were audiobooks, basically. And there was one that was a Poe collection that had an image on the cover of this thing in a shroud that was just kind of reaching out, the skeletal thing. And from across the room, it completely freaked me out. And, and I was scared to go buy that section of the library. Oh my gosh. Um, and finally I kind of summoned enough courage to go check out what it was and it was The Fall of the House of Usher and Other Tales by Poe. Oh. And I, I think looking back that that image was Madeline Usher. Um, yeah. And, and so I, I brought that home and I listened to Poe before I ever read Poe. Oh, that's and, so interesting. Uh, and then it, it, it completely consumed me. I, I, was, I was gone. You know, it was, it was a, a very formative thing. Have you always wanted to do some kind of adaptation of his work? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I started dreaming of of how I'd do the Raven and and the Cask of Amontillado. There was something so terrifying about the bricks coming in one at a time, and yeah. and, uh, and that no one could hear you screaming as you're slowly, kind of intentionally entombed. Yeah. I, I thought it was so viscerally scary. Uh, I, I wanted to to play in that world my whole life, and and finally got to. Like an actual dream or nightmare, or like a like as a, a goal dream. As a goal, <laughs> as a goal dream. Actual dreams and nightmares, not so much Poe related, but uh -huh. they started very differently. Like my first actual dreams and nightmares were Fraggle related. Fraggle um, Rock. Yeah. Okay. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Those are kind of weird and, and <laughs> disturbing. Yeah. There was well, there was one episode of Fraggle Rock um, called the Terrible Tunnel. And there was this tunnel in, Frag in, the, in the Fraggle world that they weren't supposed to go into because uh, any Fraggle who went into the terrible tunnel never came out. And then finally, one of the Fraggles wanders into the terrible tunnel. And the way I remember it, it's just a horror extravaganza. Uh, and there are 
ghosts of dead fraggles and rags that are floating in, 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 in the tunnel and trapped in the rocks and there's no way out. And mm. the fraggle finally makes it out of the terrible tunnel and is like, whew. And, and it seemed so out of place in this otherwise delightful show. Yeah. I had nightmares about that for years. It was one of those recurring nightmares oh. that you can, those nightmares you have where you can feel it coming yeah. on. And yeah. And you're just like, oh no, this again? Like it was that. For, for way too long. So you'd be in it and you would know it was the same story, but you wouldn't yeah. know how to get out of it. No, I could never get out of it. How and, old and were you? It started, oh geez, I was probably in kindergarten, first grade. Okay. Oh wow. And I remember there was a sound that I associated with it. There was a, there was music that was like this one chord that would play. Yeah. And if I heard that sound in one of my other dreams, it meant that it was kind of shifting over into a terrible tunnel dream and I would get really <laughs> freaked out and try to wake myself oh, up so but there was no way to do that and yeah, yeah. I, I never watched fraggle rock is was that really? an out yeah was that an out of place i don't know the tone of it the was show, really so. out of place okay and, yeah. and part of me has always kind of wondered to what extent it actually is horrific on the show versus how never, i remember it you've never gone back to revisit it oh, hell no <laughs> <laughs> no way you just want to let me know he's like no oh, this has bothered me already yeah i'm, I'm curious about this i, I want to go seek it out and see how scary it is a, a fraggle crossing the event horizon into this yes. tunnel and just... it's, it's not supposed to be scary like no. yeah it's, it's a kid show <laughs> it's an adorable kid show and 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 that's why it's it's very candle cove for me like because yeah. i'm like do i am i just remembering this wrong that i have some kind of crazy experience that isn't actually in the show but i'm certain that it is <laughs> like and and it didn't occur to me till many years later when i had made my first uh my first real indie feature um just this little movie from 2010 called absentia which is about a, a mm-hmm. evil tunnel that, yeah. there, from which there's no escape um i finished the whole movie before my parents are like oh yeah that tunnel thing and i was like what do you mean and they're like no this is all yeah, you've been talking about this the, since you were a kid. It's the terrible so tunnel. Funny. Yeah. Oh my gosh, it's funny that you talked about the sound too, because at least for me, in Fall of the House of Usher, that was the first thing I grasped onto was your intro in the first episode, because you went like brick in the wall, and I was like, whoa! <laughs> I wasn't expecting this like rock and roll undertone to just because you know Haunting of Hill House and Haunting of Live Matter don't start that way. Yeah. And I was like, but I was already like sucked in because I knew it was gonna be like so stylistic. Did you think like how often do you? think about the sound when you're when you're preparing for something oh, like that. Oh, so much. And that was scripted. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, that, that was, was scripted. Script. Okay. Yeah. Um sound I think is the whole ball game. Yeah. Like yeah, the whole ball game that. with horror especially. And the tone of that show was always very weird because yeah. you know, Hill House always kind of felt like um I've said before it felt like a string quartet. And Bly Manor was this delicate like piano piece, and Usher yeah. was always like rock and roll. Nice. And and so from the first page of the script, I wanted that to be clear to Netflix that it was like, no, we're really we're going trying different. to get aggressive, and we're trying to have fun with this, and just go a little harder than than we usually do tonally. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that song I thought would definitely kind of signal that we're not doing a proper and classic Poe adaptation. It's yeah. Like, it's not going to, you're not going to hear Brick in the Wall and kind of be like, oh, they're doing they're doing the Vincent Price version. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. Poe is like a little rock and roll. Yeah, you know what is. I mean? Sorry, Mike, my eye is tearing. If anyone can like see this watching the VR, <laughs> like I'm skitzing out. I'm not emotional over Edgar Allan Poe, I swear. <laughs> but this may it's be okay something to be, that, though. that yeah. happens throughout, throughout the episode. Um, 
But no, he is a little rock and roll. He was kind of like the tortured artist before there was that. He was like, you know, an alcoholic who was always like kind of a recluse and like really into like, he was always yeah. criticizing other writers of the time, actually. Oh, he was throwing down left and right. Yeah. yeah. He was in- incredibly combative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and that ended up, I think, really burning him in a lot of ways. But we, we used some of those names of his real life nemeses uh, in, in the show, like Rufus Griswold. Um, oh, that whole character that. was, was a, another writer and a critic that okay. he was fighting with his whole life. And, and so that was really fun. Yeah, yeah the, he was he was very intense that dude. I love how the fall of the House of Usher incorporates so many of Poe's works into just one through line. When did you have the idea uh, for that, as opposed to just adopting or adapting one into a single work? It was kind of a reaction to how we approached Bly Manor. Okay, um, and and okay. there was a time when I was thinking that Usher might have been a great season of The Haunting, but the thing that kind of took it away from that world was that we didn't really have ghosts it was a different kind of story and um i loved the approach we got to do with henry james in kind of mixing a bunch of his stories together uh-huh. and with poe in particular they're so short and a lot of them have been adapted so many right. times over the years it's like how do we do something different and how do we try to make it all fit into kind of one season of television yeah um and that, that was the the whole fun of it it was just how to how to remix it all. Yeah, obviously you're working in lots of references to Poe's work and his real life. Uh, but you also just, you know, watching this, I'm struck by uh, just all the literary and historical references. Like we're talking about like Egyptian pharaohs and everything. And are these, you know, when I when I see these characters making these references, I'm always like, I wish I could be that smart and encyclopedic in my brain. And are are you that way, or do you have to like do a bunch of research? Oh no, I have to do a ton characters. of research. Yeah, um, and it helps. It helps if you if you've got a full room of writers <laughs> sure. who are very smart <laughs> and and also really good at, at research. And we had a few. I, I really wanted people in the room who had that encyclopedic knowledge of Poe. Yeah. One of our writers uh, is a is a teacher and and has taught for years on the works of Poe and has written his own novels, uh, continuing the Arthur Gordon Pym story and things like that. So it was like we had. A lot, a, a lot of writers that needed to be there to yeah. make all of us look really smart, you know. <laughs> so, uh, but that's that's the beauty of of collaborating with smart people is you know everybody kind of puts everything they have into it. And, and how big of a up. writers' room did the show have? Uh, we were pretty small uh, for a show. Um, yeah. it's about six writers okay. and uh-huh. and um, a lot of whom I'd worked with before. Uh, and then a few new ones too. But um, Matt Johnson, who's uh, who has got the experience teaching Poe, mm-hmm. kind of was our resident Poe po expert. expert. Um, and then the rest of us, uh, I had a couple of writers who had been uh, uh, Rebecca Klingel, who um, I first encountered because she was writing for No Sleep um, mm. under C.K. Walker. Um, she wrote Baraska and a couple of those other really popular uh, creepy pastas. Um, but Rebecca has been working in our room since Hill House, and so she was there. Danny Parker for Midnight Mass was there. Um, and my my sibling, Jamie Flanagan, was there, too. We've been working together since we were children at this point. So, um, so yeah, it, it was a really wonderful collection of people that had either worked with me before or had worked with Poe before. Um, and so it was a, a great little group. 
Well, now I have a very specific question. Yeah. Not Poe related, but you have, and I'm gonna blank on which show it is that that says this, but uh, one of your characters says, "Fear is like radiation." It's like, and it's like fear is like radiation. Once it gets, I don't, I don't know. I'm gonna bastardize the quote, but it's like <laughs> fear is like radiation. Like once it's in you, um, like you can't get rid of it or something like that. And it always stayed with me, um, especially thinking about this show. But like in general, working in this space, it's like once you're in it, there's no escape. Did you write that, or did that come from the group of writers? Because oh, I, I love remember. that. Yeah. Oh man, I don't. I do not remember. Yeah. Um. Which one? Which show is that in? I I want to say it's I want to say it's Midnight Mass but I'm not 100% sure. I want to say Midnight Mass too but yeah. you know it's it's a but theme that's prevalent yeah, through yeah, all, your through work. all of them. I yeah. I can't believe it's like but it is it's one of those shows that it's just like fear is like radiation. It's like it's so good and it 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 comes back to like nightmares too like right like once it you can't escape your recurring yeah. nightmare once you're in it it just keeps coming back. It does does it feel that way for you? Yeah, you know I I I was the most scared kid. Yeah. I was scared of everything. And and you don't really get rid of fear. You learn how to to live with it. You learn how to change it into something else. Yeah. Um, and eventually you get to a place where the things that scare us, I think, always scare us on some level. Yeah. Um, there comes a time, though, when that isn't threatening anymore. Um, where you're able to kind of to embrace it yeah. in a way that uh, it, it can become fun too. You know, I think that's one of the things that people that love horror connect with is that they, they realize at a certain point that if they pushed through that initial anxiety of fear, there's a thrill to it. There's, yeah. there's something that's, that builds you up. And, and I've always loved being afraid in retrospect mm-hmm. because it started to occur to me that I was getting braver by being scared as often as I was. You were like face because you were facing what? Yeah, it was um it's something I, I love to say in regards to horror movies when I talk to people who say I don't like horror movies mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. I've never liked horror movies because I can't watch them. Yeah. It's like, yeah, me too. I was exactly the <laughs> same way and I would watch them through my fingers, I would hide behind cushions, I would pretend to be sick at a sleepover if my friends were watching a horror movie <laughs> oh. so I'd go home. Uh and I would get to the point of like, okay, if I can will myself to keep my eyes on the screen when I feel a scare coming or when I'm, I'm in a particularly stressful scene. If I can just will myself to stick with it for 10 seconds, for 20 seconds, as long as it takes till the scare is over, the scare is never as bad as the anticipation. Exactly. And then sooner or later, that muscle gets stronger. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, well, mm-hmm. if I can will myself not to look away, not to to flinch away or hide from something for an hour or for a day. Um, You can carry that into your everyday life in a really profound way. And I I think that's why the horror genre endures the way that it does, is whether people are conscious of it or not. It's exercise and courage that helps us deal with life in a way that otherwise we might not be equipped to deal with it. Um, And that it took me a long time to realize that was happening to me. Uh, and I was jealous of my friends who enjoyed being scared. I didn't. I didn't like it. <laughs> um, now I love it, and I look for things that will scare me because, like so many of us, as the more we, we live in that world, the less we feel it. 
And so now when a movie scares me, I get so excited. Yeah. And, and I'm like, this really got me. Like, this really got under my yeah. skin. I felt that same anxiety of having to go like this in the middle of a scary scene. I haven't felt that in 10 years. That's amazing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it's, uh, I, I think fear is uh, it's the great unifier. Uh-huh. It's the first thing we feel, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we, we're all kind of born screaming into the world. And one of the first things I remember and, and most of the people I know remember is being scared as a kid of something you know we it, it it's completely a universal experience and it shapes our choices and our behaviors all the way through our formative years and into our adulthood and how many things do we see out there in the world happening right now that are a direct result of people who are scared what yeah. scares you now oh, so like geez. what are some examples of that that you think um a lot of my fears now uh what what Fear is changed for me greatly when I had kids. Mm. What I thought I was scared of before and after children are very different things. And I, I fear for them in, in a big way. Um, I think for a lot of your life, you're worried about things happening to you. And then when you have kids, you worry about things happening to them. And that's scarier. Uh, I worry about the state of the world that they're inheriting. Uh, but they're, and I, I, I talk about this with Kate sometimes too, that for people who work in horror and work in fear and try to push boundaries for ourselves and for our viewers and for everything else, there are certain things when it comes to our kids that we can't allow ourselves to even think about. Like like the idea of, of someone doing something horrible to one of my children or one of yeah. them dying before I do. You know, I can't, my brain can't even entertain that as a hypothetical, it, it rejects it, just yeah. pushes it away. It is that viscerally frightening to me. And um, so, yeah, fear changed for me when when parenthood kind of took over. Um, I, I, yeah, and that's not a, the fear I want to confront. That's not something I want to get braver about. Like, I don't want to to try to make it But do you feel like okay. you kind of yeah. did? Like, with Fall of the House of Usher? I mean, like, that's the premise. Is yeah. Like, <laughs> like your children dying before yeah. you. Yeah, I mean, so unconsciously, do you think that's what you were kind of tackling and confronting? <laughs> <laughs> wow. I mean, you know, I, I'm just, I don't know. I'm no expert. I'm just, I like, kind of piecing it together based, based <laughs> on what you said. It just blew my mind. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you, my you God. You say your biggest fear is something <laughs> happening to your kids before you, and that is the premise <laughs> of the fall of the House of Usher. Damn. I, <laughs> I have not put that together at all. Uh, well done. Wow. Uh, no, I mean, uh, I know. I'm asking. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I saw that so, realization yeah. happen on your face. Like, this isn't an act, I don't think. Yeah, yeah that was no, that, that was a penny very slowly dropping uh, through my skull there. Um, huh. Wow. Yeah, that, that has not, I've been living with that story for four years. That has not occurred to me How once. old are your children? Uh, 13, 7, and 5. So okay. that's interesting. Yeah. Like when it was like kind of probably like ruminating in your mind is like, when they were young. Yeah, I, I guess my daughter would have been about a year old yeah. when uh-huh. I started starting working on that. Wow. <laughs> Jeez, that really, you really knocked me over with that. I'm wow. sorry. I, I, just like, <laughs> I just, but I mean, I think I'm, I'm also like kind of a Poe like nerd. That's like, I went to Salem for the first time, which I think I looked up. That's where you're born, where you're yeah. born, which makes so much sense. <laughs> we had a uh, Spencer Chardis on before, and like he's from that area too. And like, you know, Obviously, I was like nerding out on all the post stuff that's like all over that town. But I, I mean, 
I, he, I think that's part of it, maybe unconsciously. Like as filmmakers, we get to a point where like, yes, we're consuming things that scare us, but then it's also like we're processing yeah. things that terrify us. That's a very good point. And I, and I think that is something that when you see really brave filmmakers, I think there's this, a sense of dissection that happens there where, where they cut themselves open and kind of put it all out there. And it's one of the only ways we can really look at ourselves is to take each piece out and kind of yeah. examine it, you know. Um, but obviously, I, I guess we don't always know that that's what we're doing. <laughs> <laughs> so, it might just happen yeah, subconsciously. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I think the, the best work anyway, and not just in horror, I think when we use art to try to understand ourselves, either as individuals or as a culture, as a species, yeah. you know, um, that's when we kind of touch something profound and I think yeah. that's when things start to resonate on a, a level that isn't superficial with with a whole lot of people you know because um, I think audiences we, we react to things different ways we react mm -hmm. to to thrills and we react to things that kind of hit those very primitive buttons in our in our minds but we also react to things that are true and I think every now and then a movie or a story, you know, a show, a book, a painting, a song, like has this jewel of truth in it. And things that have that tend to really resonate and they resonate farther and wider than kind of the lizard brain stuff when we go to just see things explode. Or, yeah. Yeah. Literally everything you just said, I feel towards you and your work profound and brave and and true and as especially uh like with haunting of hill house and then most with midnight mass because um my biggest fear that i've talked about on the show before is death and just facing sure. it and, and and your work confronts that so much uh more just boldly than any other horror i watch because uh like you said a lot of it tends to be thrills and and scares whereas your work has these characters talking about and discussing these things that like really cut to my core like there have been so many things of yours that i've watched where i've just had to like afterward decompress and just really honestly just try to forget it because it, it's, <laughs> it's something that is scary for me to confront and i it's it's like on a daily basis just kind of stuffing it down and so i'm wondering if that is a big fear of yours or was in the past oh yeah and if you found by confronting it in these works if it's helped you at all yeah, uh, and thank you. Yeah, uh, uh, Midnight Mass is probably the most personal thing I'll ever make. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I worked on it for 10 years before we got to make it. And kind of two of my biggest fears are front and center in it because, you know, I, I'm five years sober now. But when I started working on that, I was in the throes of, uh, of a drinking problem that I hadn't acknowledged at all. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so the show opens with what was my biggest fear at the time. Because I've, I've, I've been afraid of dying like you since mm -hmm. I was very young and, and trying to understand what it means and what it could mean, mm -hmm. whether uh, I, was I was raised Catholic, so it was like yeah. whether uh, you're, you're fearing hell. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Infinity. Or, yeah, oh or yeah, the infinite yeah. or nothing, yeah. you know, like what all, there's, there's no shortage of things to, to be terrified yeah. of when you think of death. But I was very afraid that, not that I would die, but that if I kept drinking the way I was drinking, I would kill someone else mm -hmm. and I would survive. Um, and so the opening of Midnight Mass yeah. with Riley's, you know, 
a drunk driving accident mm -hmm. represents one of the biggest fears that I had in my life at the time. And there were nights, I remember a, a, a New Year's party I went to where I didn't remember driving home. Oh, wow. And woke up the next day and was like, I'm home. Oh, my God. You know, um, and the fear of like, I, I remember there were days it was like I would check the news and just see like, what, did anything happen? Oh, you know, because I, no, I had no memory of, of driving home, um, which is a, a horrible thing to do, you know, uh, not only to the world, but to your psyche, because you're going to chew on that potential guilt forever. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, yeah, so that anxiety and that fear is it's scene one of the show. Yeah. And that was the jumping off point. Mm -hmm. um, and then the rest of the show is very much kind of in what used to be a very, very intense internal argument and conversation inside me between uh, addiction and sobriety and faith and reason and, you know, religion and a growing uh, atheism uh, that in my life. Um, and then ultimately, what what am I scared of when it comes to death? Mm -hmm. um, what do I think happens? And there's a lot, you know, yeah. there's a lot in the show about, okay, what do you think happens when we die? Let's talk about it. <laughs> I don't it. think I'll ever forget that um, conversation between them on that couch. Yeah. Like, that's just always going to be with me. That's so interesting because that's what we, it's so funny that you've talked, you're touching on this because obviously you don't know, but we've talked about our fears on the show and James's death and mine is addiction. Like, that terrifies <laughs> me. The idea, both not only of losing self control of yourself, but the idea that, somebody looks like you the person you love sounds like the person you love and is no longer that person you know yeah. that's like that's such a terrifying thing to me and i mean i've talked about it with other producers on the show but it, it it's interesting to watch you process it through your work because i've always been one of like the opposite where this is very like actor hippy dippy but like <laughs> the aristotle talks about in the poetics that like the the purpose of storytelling is that it is the closest we can be as human beings to understanding another human's suffering or fear or anxiety without suffering ourselves. And he uses the term mm. catharsis in that. And what he says is like the purpose of it is that like at the end of a painting of song, now after you watch a movie, the lights come up and you may have felt real fear. You may have cried. You may have like laughed. All of those things are very visceral in your body when it's when you're experiencing it. But when the lights come up, you're purged of that experience, but renewed with an understanding that you didn't have yeah. a minute before. And he said, like, in that is the ability to create real change as people, because we can that's it's like a safe way to process it. But it's, do you feel safe then processing it when you're making it because you're processing your real fears? That's, very, that's a beautiful point, yeah. Ernst. Beautiful. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> it wasn't mine. It's Ernst. I can't take uh, it. But uh, I don't know if it's safe. Um, there were times on Midnight Mass I didn't feel safe. And there really? were times when I felt, um, especially in the writing, mm -hmm. uh, very exposed, very vulnerable. Um, and not kind of knowing where this thing was going to take me. Um, I felt way better by the time we were making it because by then I was already, I couldn't have made the show if I hadn't gotten sober. And, mm -hmm. or if I had, I would have, I only would have made half the show. I, mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't have, I, did, I didn't know what I was talking about yet. Huh. And, and um, 
so I felt better on that side of sobriety when we were shooting the show because already a lot of the turmoil of it was in the past. Right. Yeah. And, and so a lot of the arguments internally I felt had been resolved, um, at least for me, while, yeah. while I was shooting. Uh, so I got to enjoy the performances, which remain some of the best I've ever been able to, yeah. to witness on a set, um, and just kind of focus on the work of putting it together. But yeah, I, the safety that, that you were just talking about that happens when the lights come up, you know, that the change has occurred uh, and you've done it in, the, in a place that's, that's not personally exposing or personally vulnerable, um, that doesn't have the consequences that other people might have to have to come to the same realization or to come to the same lessons. That's a beautiful thing about art and about how humans communicate with each other. Um, you don't really have that, I think, on a set. You don't have that while, while you're working. There's, no, there's never that moment when the lights come on. Oh, man. Uh, this feels a little dark and mysterious this time. But also hopeful. Uh, it does. <laughs> it does feel a little hopeful. It's like a warm, warm energy today. And it's not just because we don't have air conditioning. <laughs> <laughs> you feel that, Mike? I do. You feel it coming? I do. I do. Yeah. Yeah. We'll get ready. I think it's, I think I it's time, time for a sidebar. I think it is. Oh! Hi, guys. Hi. Hi. It's so good to see you. Oh, my God. I'm so enjoying listening to this conversation. It's a good one. It is, and I wanna say, you know, you're one of those people, creatives, who is very present and vulnerable, and all of your writing and your shows and your directing, everything, it, you, you're just really able to be illuminative, if that's a word, of what's really going on with people and you do that in your real life too. Like the conversation we're having, it's like you are in a therapy session or something. Yeah. Just, it, every, it's very humanist. It's so it is. it's yeah. so human and so honest. And I really appreciate that in your work. Oh, and no. it, and in you as a person, just being able to be present and talk about hard things, you know? Oh well. Thank you. Not um, everybody does that. Mm-hmm. I, I I guess I'm I'm uh, I, I've I've always needed to do that. <laughs> yeah, well, I've, I've always yeah. needed to. So yeah. you're not guarded at all. I mean, you know, we've all talked to creatives and directors and people that are very successful, and you just feel like there's some there's a wall there. Yeah. But I don't feel that with you at all. And in fact, the first time I met you was at a convention, mm-hmm. and I was with Jeffrey, and then Sean Clark had bought <laughs> the Reanimator head yeah. or something because he. Um, he's a uh, convention manager. It was it like Doctor Hill's head, or yes, <laughs> yeah, okay. it's the and actual, buys... it's the actual one. Oh, yeah. it is. Yeah. I think we had a couple of them, so I don't know which one he has or who Whoa. has the other ones. But um, he also bought the resonator from from Beyond, and he has that in his living room. <sighs> and he bought the head, and you know, it was like the first time that we were gonna meet because I think we have the same convention manager now. Yeah, yeah, Right, yeah. Dominic? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so you were there and I was like, oh, we're gonna meet Mike Flanagan. <laughs> I, I wonder what he's like, <laughs> if, if he's gonna be nice. And you were like, everybody else, and just like, just so welcoming and so warm. And you were like, I wanna hold that head. I wanna be in that picture with you guys. I have to be in the yeah. picture. I yeah. have to be yeah. in the picture, yeah. With, 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 with Barbara Crampton and Jeffrey Combs and the head. <laughs> and then there's me and I'm just like, 
we this we did awesome. a convention yeah. where Mike was in the same room as us, and he came over to say hi to Chelsea and I. And while we were talking to fans, and he just like waited off to the side. And then when we got up to take a picture with them, he took the picture. He was like, "Oh, I'll take that picture for oh you." God. And oh just God. yeah, I remember yeah. when we first met him. The yeah. the thing that Chelsea and I left saying was, "He's a normal guy." Like a really great no, guy, but like yeah. you see all this, you know, very heavy stuff, and you expect maybe a dark Don't brooding individual. Yeah. yeah. Oh no, I I, I hope <laughs> I, I hope I'm well past the danger zone of yeah. of, of losing that. It's I think it's you know I I I grew up in a middle class military family, and mm -hmm. all I wanted to do was make movies. And mm -hmm. every day, uh, I feel really lucky to be in the room, and yeah. um, and at a convention especially and it's just like you see all these people whose work you idolize yeah. and they're oh just there gosh. and it's like it's 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 delightful it's so um, exciting. but yeah i think I, it's we have a nice community I yeah. Mean, it's just, it's, yeah especially in horror yeah. Oh my God. I, I, like yeah, yeah. Well, and you were talking about early on in the interview just about you know what kind of upbringing you had and being a child and being afraid and how horror you know just teaches us how to combat our insecurities and our fears and I also feel that way about myself like there's two things you said that I, I was over there and I was listening I was going yeah yeah I get this I grew up not feeling very confident and I feel like working in horror has helped me to feel more confident as a person and I actually feel like I feel more confident about myself maybe in the last 10 years only <laughs> Since, you know, I worked in horror and then I went and had a family and then I came back. And the last 10 years since you're next, I feel like I've been more self-actualized as a person. And I've just really, I've worked in more in horror now than I did when I was younger. And I feel like it's really prepared me for anything in life, you yeah. know. Um, so I appreciate that about horror. And also you were talking about having kids and how you're afraid for them now and that's the same for me my kids are in college and I'm like I do every day I think about them are they gonna be safe are they mm -hmm. gonna be alive or you know my daughter's in Amsterdam is she gonna come back and is something <laughs> gonna happen over there I don't know so you're always worrying about your children and politics and what's going on in the world yeah. and is it gonna be okay for them it's a it's a different kind of anxiety too than anything I, I ever felt before I had kids it's completely different like and, and yeah, how do we prepare, like with horror movies, do we feel like we prepare for our own lives and our own fears that are sort of inside the ways that we talk to ourselves or something, but how do we deal with that with our families and our children? Like, I don't think there's, I don't think you ever get over that or there's, no. there's any way to deal with that. It's, all, it's a present anxiety all the time. <laughs> it's just, it's like a layer in your life that's always there. It's like a background hum. Yeah. yeah. And and how how things that are happening today will affect them decades from now. Mm -hmm. And and it makes you way more politically uh, interested. Mm -hmm. Or at least for me, yeah. I I, yeah. I was very casually like whatever with politics when I was mm -hmm. younger. But imagining, you know, what yeah. this particular moment is going to mean for my daughter, mm -hmm. you know, me that, too. that's yeah. And my nice. daughter is 20 yeah. and she's very socially conscious and she's always talking to me about things that are going on in the world and the whole thing, you know, with with losing the right to an abortion and all mm -hmm. that. She's mm -hmm. just, you know, she's very vocal and very active um, in in her feedback on what's going on in the culture. And, you know, I yeah, I I hope that our world stays saner than not so our kids will be okay 
And I keep finding myself saying to them a, a mix of, I'm sorry. I'm sorry <laughs> oh that we, God, yeah. we, this is the state of the things that you're arriving mm-hmm. to. Uh, and that, you know, my, my oldest, who's 13 now, will, will say, well, how, what do we do about uh, climate change? What do we do about this? And I'm like, I don't know. I really hope that you're smarter than I am <laughs> and that you and your generation are better mm-hmm. uh, than we, we're kind of counting on it. You know, yeah. and, and that makes yeah. me feel guilty that it's just like, I'm sorry to to hand this world off to you and try yeah. to explain it. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and yeah. when he says, why are things like this? I'm like, I, I, I got nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have any answers. It just is what it is. Yeah. Um, I, I hope you can. They, hope you they can have to it. be the ones. And yeah. I think it's always been that way. Yeah. We've always felt like the younger generation has to save us all. Yeah. You know? And it, it's, it's weird true. at like our age, like transitioning out of it. We are no longer the future and the mm-hmm. younger generation who will fix it. We are moving into that period of the yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Can you please do it? I know. <laughs> like, we took a swing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. we tried. Yeah. I, I we maybe whittled away at oh some things gosh. and then maybe made incremental changes, but now yeah. it's on to the next one. Sorry. I found yeah. like I was when I was younger, I was super I mean I'm still politically active, but when I was younger I was angry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Angry politically yeah, yeah. active. Mm-hmm. Now it's less anger and mm-hmm. I feel like I don't know if that's helpful or hurtful. You know, sure. to well, whoever comes next. Well, I think the anger is where the change can come in. So that's where the younger people are yeah. are the most vocal about, you know, yeah. having to change things that aren't good for us all. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, that brings <laughs> us to an important that light conversation <laughs> topic. I'm here to play a game or do something <laughs> with our guest, something fun. Um, so I am the side barb and. Uh, we just do different things with our guests just for fun and most of the time Catherine is the one that figures it out with Bob Portal, our producer. They uh-huh. figure out what games we're going to play. We um, write the Mad Libs. And, and today with you is a Mad Lib. And right. I, I have not looked at the Mad Lib. Well, because you always send it to us at 9.30 I'm and 10 sorry, at night. I'm doing a lot. I'm I know, you're shows. busy. I know. Do and I even get the Mad Lib? Do you yeah, say? I always oh, send okay. it to you. Uh, but there's yeah. something also <laughs> fun about, okay, I'm cuckoo about being uber prepared when I know, I'm working. I know, I kind of, it's also like maybe subtly, inti- like unconscious, unconsciously intentional because yeah. I like. like it's it's fun to come in blind and do these. Yeah, you know? I mean, I yeah, because I was busy yesterday I went shopping with um, <laughs> Bonnie um, Bonnie Aarons and Judy Aronson and we were doing like holiday thing and then we went out and had dinner and we were having so much fun and I got home at 1030 and I was like I gotta get up early mm-hmm. and I'm just not gonna look at it and then I thought well, maybe I'll look at it in the morning no I'll just drive into work and then I'm here and I haven't looked at it so Okay. It'll be going fine. blind. All right. It's okay. It's okay because well, actually, I won't. I won't spoil it. Well, do I want to? Do I want to say what? It's a I poem, but do I want to say? Yeah, I, I should say what it is. Sure, but no, Why but not? I don't. You don't want to skew what his answers will be. Mm. What? But you don't want to skew what his answers. Will oh, be. Well, is there anything? Is oh, there, you're is right. Is there a direction I should be considering? No, for? Just, just, just no. random. You're right of, about that. That's a mind. good thought. Okay, so <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. I'm our Madlib has a theme. But I'm not going to tell you what the theme is. Okay. I do know that. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so we're just going to look for words from you to fill in the Mad Lib. And Addison is going to write them down. Thank mm-hmm. you, Addison. And then um, and then we'll do it. So we need an adjective. Okay. Um, 
just now I can't think of a word. My whole job is writing. Do you know what an adjective is? <laughs> I do. I do, but I, I just I know. I know. I was like, yeah. I'm like, okay, I want to do this right. I want it to be <laughs> funny. What's a funny adjective? No. All right. <laughs> funny. That okay. is, yeah. Yeah. Funny. Okay, good. Mythological creature? Uh, hydra. Ooh. Oh, cool. Animal? Uh, let's, let's go with a honey badger. Nice. A color? Uh, purple. Something you sit on. An ottoman. Mm -hmm. I would say toilet, but okay. Oh, that's better. Let's do toilet. Yeah. To I'm, okay. I'm going to go with I toilet. I gave you that one. Okay. Yeah. Um, or, yeah. A bidet. Yeah. Bidet. A bidet. <laughs> a, that sounds nicer than toilet. Um, a place. Uh, like a city or like a... like a uh, How specific? What is that, Addison? Like a city or a what? <laughs> Okay. Uh, let's one. let's go with a uh, strip mall. <laughs> Good. <laughs> okay. <laughs> An action. Um. Uh. You know, like sweeping, I guess. Oh, or, oh, okay. You know, yeah. Like, um, like sneezing. Killing or yeah, mm -hmm. sneezing. Okay. Um, a sporting activity. Oh, like like uh, hunting or or like or uh, like lacrosse or football ooh, okay. or sports. The the, uh, <laughs> the undiscovered country. The other thing. Yeah. I know. Oh, the other people yeah. watch and do. Yeah. What is sports? Um, the sports. All right. Uh, so yeah, let's 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 go let's go with uh, running. The right. sport of running. The sport. It's a sport. It's a sport. It's a sporting event. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's an Olympic thing. Okay, a person. Is it like a real person or a fake person or a person? I think like a kind of person. A kind of person. What do you mean? Like a cowboy? Yeah, like. A yeah, that's what it seems. That seems to be contextual. A mime. Yeah. A mime. Okay, Ooh, good. Great. Cooking utensil. A uh, spatula. Nice. Type of monster. Oh, okay. Classic monster, maybe. Classic monster. Um, I threw that in as an extra helpful <laughs> hint. All right, let's let's go with a werewolf. Yeah. Awesome. Character from a book. Okay, Sherlock Holmes. Nice. Mm. A living creature, human, pet, or otherwise. A Bernadoodle. Bernadoodle. That's a Is type of Bernese. Yeah, it's a Bernese mountain dog uh, mixed poodle. with a poodle. Okay. Nice. Okay. We have one now. Okay. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I was gonna say that was very was specific. Like, yeah. Oh my god, it's not enough to be a workaholic and have three children. You have a Bernese. You got a puppy. Oh, a puppy. Sixty-five pound puppy. Okay. Uh, yeah, kids. His name is Millhouse. Oh, yeah. everything's coming up. Yeah. Oh. Your puppy is the size of my full-grown duck. I'm afraid he's gonna. <laughs> it's, it's like a Clifford situation. Oh, he's no. gonna just outgrow the house. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. A liquid. Liquid death. Yes, I was hoping you were gonna say that. Mm -hmm. One of our Which sponsors. is the greatest? Yes. Yeah. By the way, <laughs> like the greatest. Name <laughs> of a body of water. <laughs> we already use liquid death. All right. Um, like the Indian yeah, 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 yeah. The, yeah. Uh, Lake Erie. Lake Erie. Yeah. Okay. Uh, a noun. Um, whoopee cushion. <laughs> Another adjective. Um, smelly. Okay, we have about six more. An emotion. Uh, joy. Yay. Another color. Let's say plaid. Plaid, right. why not? Something you find What's in your bathroom. Color? Electric toothbrush. Mm-hmm. A childhood toy. Um, He-Man. Mm -hmm. A verb. Uh, run. Okay. 
yeah. type of fabric? Polyester. And the last one, film crew position. Set deck. Nice. <laughs> Set decorator. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Set one. decorator. That's oh, that's, that's it. Okay. Now we'll take a short break for the printing so we all have Copy. our little sides. <laughs> You know what's a nightmare? Dehydration. Yeah, you know what's an even worse nightmare? Plastic pollution. That's why we love Liquid Death and their evil mission to murder your thirst and kill plastic pollution. That's right, their aluminum cans are as metal as they get. So pick <laughs> some up today, because we all need something uh, refreshing to reach for when we wake up from a nightmare. It's true. Cheers. <laughs> And we're back for the side barb with Mike Flanagan. And um, now you can see what mm -hmm. it was about. And Catherine didn't want to <laughs> say it was a poem by Edgar Allan Poe. Yeah. A poem, if you will. A, po a poem. Uh, <laughs> that is exactly my kind of joke. Oh my God. <laughs> so funny. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, so uh, you've given us all parts uh -huh. to play. Thank you so much. And I get to start. Yes. Okay. This is Dreamland, mm -hmm. originally by Edgar Allan Poe <laughs> and reimagined by Catherine Corcoran of Screen Dreams. Well, uh, and also, also Mike with Flanagan. With suggestions by Mike Flanagan. <laughs> yeah. And suggestions. Creative <laughs> input yes. by Mike Flanagan. That's right. Okay. By a route, funny and lonely, haunted by ill hydra only, where a honey badger named Knight on a purple bidet, <laughs> reigns upright. I have reached this strip mall, but newly from an ultimate sneezing foal. From, am I saying that right, foal? Thule. 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 Yeah. From a, wa a wild, weird running game that mime sublime Ooh, oh. out of space, out of time. Time really worked there. Yeah, that mm -hmm. was great. It really did. Bottomless spatula and boundless floods, and werewolf and Sherlock Holmes and Titan Woods, with forms that no Bernadoodle can discover, <laughs> for the liquid death that drip all over. Mountains toppling evermore into seas without a shore, Lake Erie that restlessly aspire, surging unto skies of fire. Whoopee cushion that endlessly outspread their lone waters, lone and dead. Their still waters, smelly and chilly, with the snows of the lolling lily. By the Lake Erie that thus outspread their lone waters, lone and dead. Their joyful waters, joyful and chilly, with the snows of the lolling lily. By the mountains near the river, Murmuring lowly, murmuring ever, by the plaid woods, by the swamp, where the toad and the newt encamp, by the dismal tarns and pools, where dwell the ghouls, by each electric toothbrush most <laughs> unholy, in each nook most melancholy, there the traveler meets aghast, a sheeted he-man <laughs> of the past. Shrouded forms that start and sigh as they run the wanderer by. 
polyester-robed forms of friends long given, in agony to the earth and heaven. For the heart whose woes are legion, tis a peaceful, soothing region. For the set deck that walks in shadow, tis, <laughs> oh, tis an Eldorado. But the set deck traveling through it may not, dare not, openly view it. Never its mysteries are exposed to the weak Bermadoodle eye unclosed. So wills its hydra, who hath forbid the uplifting of the fringed lid. And thus the joyful soul that here passes beholds it but through darkened glasses. You have a beautiful voice. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> by a root obscure and lonely, haunted by ill set deck only, where a honey badger named Night on a purple bidet reigns upright. <laughs> I have wandered home, but newly from this ultimate sneezing thule. The yeah. end! <laughs> That's so cool. I like that with uh, purple bidet reigns upright is actually a double entendre, reigns upright like a bidet. <laughs> oh. you know? oh. That worked really That's well. Good. Yeah. Mime worked yeah. well too. Mime was Mime. sublime. I, yeah, sublime. I, I feel Ooh. like Poe would have included mime. Yeah, yeah. I feel uh, he if also gone back and, re and might revised it. it. Yeah, I, th <laughs> I think if he would also would have really enjoyed the honey badger. Yeah, <laughs> I could see you know honey badger Mask named of Knight. the Red Death <laughs> yeah. reimagined with sidekick honey badger <laughs> <laughs> named Knight. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He don't give a shit. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was gonna make that joke. I was yeah. sure oh to uh, be familiar. Yeah. <laughs> on a purple bidet gives no shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Literally. Uh -huh. Literally, he's cleared. He's been cleared. <laughs> oh my god, that wow. was so fun. It was a blast. Yeah, thank mm -hmm. you for playing the game with us oh my and god, doing the you. Mad Lib. Yeah. yeah. I have to go, oh, and wow. it's been fun, so I know you guys have more to talk about. I'll see you later. Oh! I'm still startled. Yeah, right. Greatest. I feel like everyone says that and they're yeah. never lying. It's I true. Uh, can I ask something personal? And if it's too personal, feel free to sure. <laughs> uh, say so. But you know, you've, you've mentioned and you seem to be pr pretty open about how you're sober now. You oh, weren't yeah. five years ago. Yeah. Uh, five years ago, you said what you were making uh, Haunting of Hill House, Dr. Sleep. It was around that era. Yeah. Uh, and then you were just talking about gaps and you notoriously don't have any gaps. I remember when we met at Dr. Sleep, I remember talking to you and you had, I think you had said something about, yeah, I'm going to slow down now after all this. <laughs> and and then, and then the years passed. Yeah, I'm like, yeah. Mike, what, what the hell happened? You were supposed right. to slow down. And you've just had nonstop project after project. I'm just wondering, you know, I, I don't want to say how you found the strength to do that, but just personally for me, I know that during my busiest times of work, that's when I'm most likely to like pour a glass of wine or, Not you know, healthy. Yeah, yeah, exactly. 100%. Turn to these bad sure. habits just to like take the edge off or do something like that. And yet, so for someone uh, with the work that you have to do that, I would have expected like a long gap where you like, you know, worked on yourself. And so how did you manage to do that yeah. even while staying so productive? I, I, um, I admire it so much. <laughs> I think I traded one addiction for another. Okay. Uh, I, okay. I think, you know, I've, I've worked more since I got sober than I did prior. Um, okay. And the projects began overlapping. Um, so my wife will tell you that I don't know how to function when I'm not working. Mm -hmm. And um, I think a lot of the time uh, earlier in my career, I was leaning on 
alcohol, uh, cigarettes for sure. I loved smoking. God, <laughs> I loved it. Um, uh, and I leaned on that to kind of cope um, with what I thought was the stress of work. Uh, but after I got sober, I began to lean on work to cope. And, um, and so I think in a lot of ways, uh, it, some of it's fear-based. Some of it's that I, I come from uh, DIY indies where there was the sense that every movie could be your last, yeah. mm-hmm. you know? And when I got to make it, when I finally got to make a movie, it was like, will they, can I make another one? I can do better. I can do better. Will, will they let me make another one? And so the first five years of my career were about keeping going so that I'd be able to keep making movies. And if one of these didn't work, if one of them really fell on its face, I wouldn't just find my career over. Um, It wouldn't just kind of go away as soon as it had shown up. Uh, And then after a while, the career had kind of built up its own momentum. And it's like, okay, well, now I have to sustain this because (laughs) it's expected. Mm -hmm. Um, But also I've gotten so used to having the next one ready to go before the last one can fail you know, yeah. uh, that that becomes the sur- a survival technique. Um, and it's only in the last few years that I've been able to look around and be like, you're, you're okay. Like, <laughs> you can it. take a break. Uh-huh. Um, and I keep saying, and I've, I've said what I said to you to a number of people where I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to slow down. Now. Yeah. I'm going to, and I remember saying that after Dr. Sleep and then went and did uh, five TV shows. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, um, and, and like, yeah, and I'm like, well, now I'm now I'm taking a break from TV because mm-hmm. uh, I was doing a movie. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I'm right back to TV. So it's 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 like it's I'm I'm lucky that I'm I'm able to work is yeah. the big thing. Yeah, I don't want that to go away, um, and I function emotionally way better when I have that than I do without it. And the the gaps that I have had which are, some of them are, are ridiculous. Like when, when COVID hit and mm. we shut down Midnight Mass and there was that period where it's just like the uncertainty of that period, um, I couldn't function yeah. with that kind of uncertainty. I, I was just a mess um, and didn't relapse into anything, but we, were, we were locked in, in the house yeah. and I was just like, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna start, I'm gonna start writing. I'm gonna start, I'm just gonna come up with something, start writing this. And Kate was like, you can relax. If nothing else, I hope that this episode uh, for you is a reminder of the hope that you've instilled in us yes. as creatives and filmmakers Absolutely. of the people listening and watching and um, I can assure you just in the time that we've spoken um, for your children and I hope that everybody else leaves with that sense of optimism after listening to this episode what what can you tell us that you have that's next that people can look out for and where where else can they find you sure uh, so the next thing uh, is a is an indie movie um, that I just wrapped on. I'm editing right across the street from you right oh, now. Oh wow! Uh, called the Life of Chuck. It's based on a Stephen King short story. Yeah. Um, it's unusual for me and for him because it is not a horror story at all, and it is all about hope and empathy and joy set against a feeling that the world is ending. Oh, wow. um, and and so it, it's it's heavy and it's dark and it's light and it's lovely and and um, this was the movie uh, I read the short story and I, I called my my producing partner Trevor Macy and I said we we have to we have to do this it's mm-hmm. probably the best movie I'll ever get to make um, I can't 
believe we got to make it, and we only got to make it because mm-hmm. we made it ourselves. Uh, nobody, no studio would let this thing exist. Yeah. I think the way the way we wanted to do it, um, and it was really uh, it was a real joy to do it. It's um, it'll k- kind of stand out amongst everything else in that it isn't horror, and I feel like I'm going to spend the next year <laughs> reminding people it isn't <laughs> horror because it's going to be. Flanagan, Stephen King, like, all right, here come the scares. Like, nope, <laughs> this one's about dancing. You know, it's it's, uh, but it's it's probably my favorite movie I've ever gotten to make. Oh, and so exciting! I was crying on set. You know, oh. it was it was really really a beautiful thing. Uh, and now I'm off of that as soon as that's done, and I'm right back because uh, I'll never I'll never leave horror. It's my favorite thing, <laughs> of course. Uh, I'm right back, kind of into that world and Amazing. and kicking off. Um, we moved the company over to Amazon mm-hmm. uh, just in time to go on strike, <laughs> and, um, and so uh, now that now that uh, now that the strikes are over, uh, we're kind of kicking off our our next chapter of of television for for uh, Amazon, and it's going to be uh, a lot of the kind of things that people enjoyed uh, that we were doing at Netflix, only only different. So That's I'm so looking exciting. forward to that. But, before we wrap up, I know that we're run long, but I would be remiss if I didn't mention, based on the premise of this show, that uh, I, I I normally don't remember my dreams, but two days ago, we finished the final episode of The Fall of House of Usher, and that night, I had a nightmare that was directly inspired by the show. It was <laughs> it was a dr- – well, the, the Usher part wasn't so much a nightmare. It was actually a hopeful dream. Because I dreamt that, uh, turned out I had an actual uh, father who was like a billionaire or something, and he was going to leave me like millions of dollars (laughs) in his inheritance. So it was directly inspired. And I just remember crying when, uh, in the dream, when I learned that I would be inheriting this, because I was like, oh, I can uh, stop making, I, I can pause making stuff and try to like, write something which i've been wanting to do for the past couple of years i just can't find the time to do it with my treadmill uh but that turned into a nightmare in which my childhood dog got flown from a vehicle and and died so that was awful and and then i immediately woke up when that dog hit that pavement but uh so i didn't have to live with it but it was definitely fall of the house of usher that that (laughs) Led that path. And Were so, you in the clothes, like the style of clothes that they wear in the? I don't think so, and, and I, I do remember it was like a I was fighting to take over the, the company, and then I didn't win the fight, but my fake dad in there was like, "I respect the fight, so I'm leaving you this money in the will." <laughs> yes. I was like, "Thanks, my, very fake dad." <laughs> It was weird. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly what we were going for. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mission accomplished. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, really, that really warms my heart. That's great. That's awesome. Yeah. And well, we hope you all are inspired to have Poe-inspired dreams or otherwise at mm-hmm. the end of this, but always let this be the reminder of hope and encouragement that you need. Uh, until next time, thank you so much for joining us, Mike. I'm Catherine Corcoran. And I'm James A. Janice. This is Scream Dreams. Let this be a reminder to always leave the light on. Scream <laughs> Dreams.